Hello and welcome to the PHBS podcast with myself, Will Bowen, and my co-host, Roberta Lazari. Hello and welcome. Here on the podcast today, we have with us Emanuela Wu. Emanuela is the Head of Global Business Development of Impossible Brands in Milan. Impossible Brands is a digital fashion accelerator with the goal of incubating and accelerating fashion brands made in Italy. In the past, Emanuela was the Global Business Development Manager in AliExpress Social Commerce Program at their HQ in Hangzhou, China. She initially participated in the Alibaba Global Talent Development Program, the Leadership Academy founded by Jack Ma with the aim of training the next global leaders of Alibaba. Prior to Alibaba, Emanuela worked as a consultant for over three years, eventually becoming a senior digital innovation consultant at EY, helping to consolidate its expertise in e-commerce with a focus on retail, fashion, and entertainment. Prior to consulting, Emanuela worked in business development for a startup in Amsterdam and then for Google AdWords in Milan. Emanuela, it's great to have you with us on the podcast today. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me here. Emanuela, welcome to our podcast and thanks for joining us today. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about Impossible? Yeah, we are young reality. We were born like in September 2020. So we we can consider ourselves like a startup, even though our approach is very well structured already. And uh, as Impossible Brands, uh, we our goal is really to help the emerging brands from, from Italy to, to grow 360 degrees from the operations to the offline distribution and then to the digital channels with e-commerce, marketplaces. And me as a global business developer, I also help them to scale up at a, at a global scale. So what we do as Impossible Brands, we don't only help them and support them from an operation point of view, but also financially, which means that we support them with investments, uh, with the goal of acquiring uh, company shares of the brand in, in order to operate really as a group and as a holding. And our ambition is to become the Caring 2.0 for the new generation brands uh, made in Italy. And I guess um, out of the brands that you've helped so far, I guess what key elements to success have you seen within those brands? What makes them really motivate you to want to back them and support them? First of all, their vision. Um, And with vision, I mean how they see fashion and the new trends for the new generation. So not only the Gen Z, but, you know, also... For, for younger kids who are very, very keen to sustainability, inclusivity, body positivity. So we're not talking about traditional fashion where you see you know, all these beautiful gowns on the runway, but we are talking more about street fashion, um, you know, apparel made of sustainable textile, uh, sustainable materials, and also animal-free animal products. So these are the key trends that, you know, we, we, we look after and we also value when we approach a new brand or a new brand wants to cooperate with us. And I guess what makes Impossible Brands unique as an accelerator? Our unique proposition, again, is not only operational, but also financial, because what we're seeing in the market, especially here in Italy, there are like a bunch of agency, you know, uh, claiming to support brands, but what they do is, is just giving us service. So, you know, they, 
they export a fee for managing or building uh, online platforms, but then they are not really committed to the results or to the KPIs of the brand. In our case, since we're supporting them also financially, and our business model is a little bit different. So we don't only um, give them services, but our revenues as a group are coming also from for from their you know their their value as a brand since we own some company share. So the approach is a little bit different, and um, this really stress and highlight our commitment to every brand we work with and we have in our portfolio. And um, you've mentioned a bit about, uh, I guess, young brands and, um, you know, customers being millennials. Um, do you reckon there's been a, I guess, a generational shift and a focus and that's caused a disruption within um, new and upcoming fashion brands or the incumbent players? Yeah, definitely. I mean, because to be honest, the millennial generation already kind of consider old. I mean, I'm a millennial myself, but uh, what we what we are seeing, especially from the Gen Z on, is that you know customers nowadays are not only focused on the brand or the allure of you know well-established brand. I mean, such as Chanel, Dior, Prada, but they are really looking after also some key and core values of the brand, uh, you know, such as sustainability, for example, like, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of customers uh, boycotting, for example, Burberry or H&M because they were using, you know, well, they were using cottons from certain regions, which weren't really following human rights. So, you know, the new generation, they are really looking for, you know, sustainable brands and brands which which can really reflect how they are feeling because it's not anymore how you look but this, but the young customers right now they they pick the brands which can really represent them as very a very complex personality i mean i'm talking about you know customers who feel very gender fluid so there's no more the need to distinguish or to differentiate female or male collections for example or you know um young customers who are very you know keen to to you know the textile materials if it's vegan animal free and so on so yeah this is the one of the main shifts we're seeing uh with the younger generation really interesting and we can say you're really passionate about fashion uh can i ask you was this the spark that led you to impossible brands yeah, I've always been very passionate about fashion since, you know, my early career. And um, yeah, the main reason why I'm so passionate about fashion is because fashion is also a way we can kind of uh, express ourselves in the society, our in the world. And uh, I've been always very attracted to, you know, of course, when I was younger, uh, to the most important fashion brands, you know, the most established French Maison, I mean, you know, Chanel, Dior, and so on. Um, and uh, what is really interesting for me is really how fashion can shape the society as well. If you're thinking about, you know, how Virgil Abloh, the former um, creative director of Louis Vuitton, the very first African-American as creative director in a French uh, brand, he really 
managed to democratize fashion and he introduced streetwear in the high-end luxury industry. So right now, if you're if you're seeing Chanel Dior making their own sneakers, it's also thanks to Virgil Blow and uh, to his vision of, of fashion. So this is what really fascinates me about this uh, this industry. And um, a few podcasts ago, we actually interviewed uh, the founder of Natural Grace. So she's using ocean plastics to make active wear for, for women, kind of like, a, I guess, a Lululemon, for, um, but more environmentally focused in a way. Um, and I guess she, she left a, a role uh, trading in oil and gas to go start a, an environmentally friendly fashion company. And you've worked both in startups and well-established companies like EY and Alibaba. Which experience did you find more challenging and why? Uh, well, definitely both experiences can be considered challenging in their own ways, but definitely for, you know, well-established corporations like EY and Alibaba, I mean, you're kind of part of a gigantic machine. So um, I'm not saying that you're kind of considered like a number, but your impact and the added value that you can bring is kind of limited because you have to go through a lot, of pro a lot of internal process, a lot of internal procedures. And then the, also the hierarchy in the organization is very complicated. Um, so maybe you have brilliant ideas, but in order to implement idea, it takes you know months, a lot of approval. So it can be quite painful and frustrating sometimes. Uh, on the other hand, you know, working a startup, you have to build everything from zero. So there's no, there's no organization, you got to structure your the team. It's also very challenging to find the right people who really believe in, you know, into the vision and the mission of your startup. So these are, I would say, the key challenge, uh, challenges that I see in, the, in both worlds, yeah. And you're also part of the board of, the, of director for the Italian Chinese Professional Network. Um, what is the goal of this organization? Yeah, so ICPN uh, was born four years ago, and the main goal of this association is really to create, you know, like a network and a community for, you know, first of all, for the uh, second generation Chinese born and raised in Italy, but also, you know, to create a hub where people interested in either working in China or working for Chinese companies, uh, they, you know, they can refer to. So uh, as ICPN, we, uh, we really want to support, you know, young students from high school or university, you know, kind of to mentor them and give them, you know, like some, um, some guidance or some, you know, um, experiences regarding the possible career that you can have, especially because for second generation Chinese kids, it's not always so easy to, to choose you know, your your field of studies, because maybe your parents are, are immigrants and they've been always working for their whole life, so they don't really know how to advise their, their children. So we create a lot of uh, workshops, seminars or webinars, you know, <laughs> during the pandemic, uh, where, you know, we focus on certain uh, field of studies or faculties, such as engineer, economics, finance, design, or communication, just, you know, to tell uh, the story of you know, other people from our community who made a career out of you know, their, their own passions. And for university students, we, we also support them in finding internship, either in Italy or in Europe or in China. We also have partnership with um, 
a lot of Chinese companies operating in Europe. Uh, so we also support these companies in finding, you know, the right young talents, um, you know, to to build up their team or, you know, to find also new business partners at, at the more institutional level. And for young workers, we are, uh, we really, we are really creating like a, a network where they can interact with, it, where, with them, you know, in, in the network and can find also some potential business partners to, you know, to create their own startups or to get some consulting or consultant service. And um, you've done a lot of work in China. And so what's, I guess, a major challenge that someone wanting to establish a fashion brand in China would experience in, uh, from your perspective? Well, definitely right now, the fashion industry in China is very fierce <laughs> because we have such a giant like Xin. And Xin is literally, you know, burning all the market share for Zara and H&M because their, you know, their manufacturing power, their, you know, artificial intelligence power, data power is just so way more advanced than, you know, Western companies that, you know, right now it's very hard to compete uh, in this industry. However, however, I still see some, you know, some niche, especially for someone coming from Europe or Italy, for example, who wants to establish like a new fashion brands in China, it got to be more related to the whole heritage, to the materials, to the textile, the, fa the fabrics that you're, you're using. So, I mean, the, for example, the fast fashion market is already hyper saturated, but I would say that in the medium and uh, I would say medium high market there are still some opportunities um, especially you know if you are kind of exporting the know-how the European know-how of fashion by using you know very uh, specific textile and uh, kind of also adapt adapting your design to the to the local taste and of course local size and and yeah, this is how I see the fashion industry right now in China. And it's definitely very fast, um, not only for a manufacturing point of view, but also like, you know, in the, in the sales process, because of course, China e-commerce is very well developed. So everyone is expecting their parcel to be delivered within 24 hours. So even, you know, to establish like a new brand, you get a, you know, offer like a top-notch customer service and after sales um, and also delivery got to be very, very, very fast. And um, what do you think has made, you've mentioned Shin. So what do you think has allowed Shin to dominate in China so much uh, versus these more traditional, um, well-established, like I guess, Western brands? Well, Shin uh, Cave is very, very interesting. I mean, we've been studying Shin also uh, in Alibaba and AliExpress. So Shin, what is, they are doing is really to um, analyze and get insights every day on social medias. And they know every day what's the new trends, you know, collecting all the data from the influencers or you know, other social media platforms. And within three, five day max, they're already able to create a new collection. On average for Zara, it takes um, two to three weeks to create a new collection, to, to distribute it uh, in their retail stores. But for Shein, 
I mean, they have a, an incredible manufacturing uh, speed. And this is what really made them successful all around the world. In China itself, as local market, Xin is, is kind of doing well. However, the main market for Xin, you know, is still all the uh, foreign markets out of China because they are selling more, uh, you know, designs that are more Western friendly than China friendly because, the, you know, the whole fashion is quite, is a bit different. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now, like, for example, like Shanghai has its own uh, fashion week and there are also a lot of uh, new Chinese designers who are who are bringing or, you know, they're really developing the, you know, the Chinese design, which is more national, kind of have a lot of inspiration from, from the past, from the Chinese history and, and so on. Well, we can say the key topic of this podcast uh, was fashion, and that's only uh, one of the constants in your working experience. Um, can I ask you what would be one piece of advice for graduates considering a, a career in fashion? Well, first of all, you got to be passionate about fashion, <laughs> because if you don't have the passion, it's also very hard to understand, you know, all the not very rational <laughs> uh, dynamics that you know are uh, going on every day in the fashion world and definitely you know keep a lot of attention on on the new trends and um, and I think that you know like a big gap the fashion industry is still having stuff on the digital world the whole you know the whole trend of the nft metaverse you know it is really like a big opportunity because it's a it's a green field so definitely for for some young graduates who want to explore more the fashion world uh, you got to definitely have digital skills and uh, you know you got to be into you know the 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 whole digital world the metaverse you, you need you need to at least have a, like a bad, basic knowledge of of what's going on especially because big fashion brands or you know like nike itself and also adidas they bought um two nft companies and they're creating their own virtual collection so yeah this is definitely like uh, a big trend. No one knows if it's going to be a bubble or it's going to stay. Um, yeah, but definitely that's a, that's an opportunity that that I see for for young graduates. Right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today, Manuela. But thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Manuela. Thanks for joining us for this episode. If you haven't already, join our community online on Instagram, where you can stay up to date with the latest episodes and reach out to us. Mm-hmm.